Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. The middle class stands as the most successful demographic in world history. By the time we reach 2030, it's projected that the fifth billionth person will have joined its ranks. This journey, which began over two centuries ago by people in pursuit of a better life, has sparked an unparalleled global transformation. In today's landscape, where half of the global population find themselves at or above the middle class threshold, the work of my guest, Homi Karas, shines a light on their journey from poverty to empowerment. His research delves into the ways that technology, politics, and globalization have contributed to this monumental shift. However, this growth carries with it a weighty responsibility, as the consumption patterns of the middle class pose significant implications for the health of the planet. A senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and a co-founder of the World Data Lab, Homi Karas's latest book, The Rise of the Global Middle Class, encapsulates the history of this expanding middle class and the complex interplay of global governance. Karas reminds us that this extraordinary expansion compels us to reconsider the middle class's role in fostering economic empowerment, shaping policy, and tackling the existential threat of climate change. All among the intricacies of a multipolar world, moving toward a vision of the future where prosperity doesn't have to compromise our environmental integrity. It is my pleasure to welcome Homi Kalas to discuss his latest work, The Rise of the Global Middle Class, How the Search for the Good Life Can Change the World. Homi, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Well, it is a delight to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. First of all, define what we mean in, in a global sense by the middle class, because I think people in the U.S. think of it a certain way. When we think of it in global terms, the definition is perhaps different. Talk about that first. So I'd like to uh, distinguish between uh, defining the middle class and measuring the uh, middle class. Uh, to define the middle class, I think uh, many people think in terms of uh, uh, aspirations. The middle class has certain values. They uh, uh, value uh, uh, hard work, essentially, uh, their own uh, responsibilities to uh, take care of themselves and their uh, families. Um, and they um, uh, really set themselves up as uh, as uh, contributing to uh, society. They have, uh, you know, occupations and jobs that pay them uh, uh, good wages. Uh, that permit them to uh, be able to uh, uh, to really make choices uh, for themselves and their uh, families. So the middle class, uh, in 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 terms of a concept, are really people who are making choices, economic choices about their everyday uh, lives. Unlike the poor, who basically are just uh, scrambling to uh, get by don't have the luxury of being able to uh, make choices because they have to uh, just subsist on uh, bare necessities. And unlike the rich who don't really make choices, they just, you know, take, uh, uh, they have the ability to uh, spend whatever they uh, want. So the concept of a choice isn't uh, uh, really there. The middle class is constantly making uh, choices. That just takes me to uh, uh, quickly say, that if you want to then measure it, you have to measure it in terms of uh, uh, some metrics of uh, spending. Uh, and I've tried to uh, use a, a metric of uh, where people actually uh, make these choices, 
adjust that by uh, family size and by cost of living differences across the uh, world. And that gives us a uh, common definition that can be applied in all countries. When did we first start defining and, and measuring and understanding a global middle class? I mean, you talk in the book about a long history of this that goes back almost to Victorian England. Talk a little bit about how it evolved and, and then more specifically how it evolved in a more contemporary world that we're in today. So I think early on, uh, now I'm talking about the uh, beginning of the uh, 19th century, uh, class was a very simple thing. Uh, you had a number of people who essentially claimed usually that they ruled by divine right, that God had ordained them to be the rulers, and they were called the aristocracy. Uh, they had vast tracts of uh, land that they uh, earned money on. And then you had everybody else. And the everybody else were largely uh, peasants who uh, lived off the uh, land. The groups were so different that it was easy to tell them apart. Uh, they differed in um, in uh, incomes, they differed in uh, dress, in the language that they spoke, in the things they uh, did. Uh, one really didn't need to uh, think about uh, uh, class. And there was really no middle class at that time. As the Industrial Revolution took off, you started to get a group of people uh, clerks, bankers, accountants, lawyers, doctors, who sort of fell in between those two traders. Uh, these were people who uh, certainly were not, um, uh, were not peasants in the traditional sense, nor were they aristocrats, uh, but they had a certain amount of, uh, uh, of uh, spending uh, power. And you started to see this category of people taking off sometime around uh, 1830 when the Industrial Revolution uh, starts and then gradually accelerating uh, uh, over time and becoming a class, meaning that they started to uh, feel and use political power. In the UK, they were able to vote, something that before had really been reserved for the aristocracy. Uh, and in many other countries, the emergence of the middle class and the uh, expansion of the number of voters, including incidentally uh, uh, permitting women to uh, uh, vote, uh, really went hand in hand. And that's where we are today. Uh, we now have in almost all countries of the uh, world, the middle class being the dominant segment of uh, society. The number of really rich people is uh, quite small. Uh, and now in uh, most countries, the uh, number of uh, poor people is uh, relatively small and the middle class has become the majority of the world for the first time ever. As we have seen the middle, this middle class evolve globally, we've seen it evolve in both democratic societies and autocratic societies. How has that been different? And is that difference significant? I think it is um, significantly uh, different. There was hope at one point, and many people uh, wrote about how an expansion of the middle class would also uh, drive countries towards democracy, that the middle class would assert their rights 
to uh, uh, to vote. I think that the evidence suggests that that is not actually true. The middle class uh, simply requires governments to pay attention to the kinds of things they want. And one of the things they want above all is stability. And autocracies sometimes deliver stability even better than democracies. And that's why you see the middle class uh, actually emerging and thriving in countries as different as uh, uh, China, uh, which is uh, certainly an uh, autocracy, uh, but also countries like, for example, Singapore, which may be a democracy, but a democracy which has always had uh, the same uh, political party in power uh, since its independence. And talk a little bit about the role of China, because it's such an interesting country in that it itself has moved a huge portion of its population from poverty to the middle class. But it has also been so instrumental in moving populations in so many other parts of the world, so many other countries in this movement from poverty to the middle class. Talk about that. Well, one of the great uh, questions, I believe, of our uh, time is whether the expanding middle class in China is uh, good for the middle class in the in the West or bad for the middle class in the West. Uh, so uh, it's 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 really not uh, uh, not obvious which way this would uh, go. Certainly, when uh, China was admitted into the uh, World Trade Organization and became a uh, full fledged member of the uh, global community. People thought that uh, the emergence of China would be very good for the uh, middle class in the West because it uh, permitted an expansion of trade and an expansion of uh, uh, of uh, uh, cheap goods that the middle class uh, wanted uh, and wanted to uh, consume. Uh, so it helped to keep inflation low. Uh, low inflation is another thing that the uh, middle class uh, thrives on. Uh, they hate inflation because it tends to uh, eat into their financial savings, uh, which is part of what they're trying to accumulate for uh, uh, their own uh, old age. So China played a very important role, but then it also played a role of uh, potentially uh, uh, displacing jobs in uh, the uh, West. Uh, and uh, that has uh, proven to be a, a source of uh, considerable friction. So there are pluses and uh, minuses, and this is true not just of the middle class in the West, but in uh, other countries uh, as well. Uh, and the uh, net balance, I think, uh, remains to be seen about uh, whether the emergence of the Chinese middle class is uh, positive or negative uh, for the West. There's one point which I'd like to emphasize on uh, this, uh, which I think has been underestimated. And that is that it's the Chinese middle class that has really pushed the Communist Party to clean up its act with regard to uh, uh, carbon emissions. Uh, and they've done that not because they uh, believe in saving the planet, uh, but because they uh, believe in uh, having the uh, ability to breathe uh, fresh air. So a while ago, China was had some of the most polluted cities in the world. You couldn't go outside and uh, breathe in uh, Beijing and uh, other uh, big cities. Uh, today, all of that has been uh, cleaned up. Uh, and that's really been a, uh, a major factor 
in helping to contain the level of greenhouse gas emissions uh, that uh, uh, now are uh, uh, being emitted uh, uh, globally. What role has globalization and free trade played in all of this? And what are we potentially going to see as we see a retrenching from so much free trade and globalization? I think globalization has been uh, hugely important because it's permitted so many countries to uh, grow rapidly uh, economically. We saw that first with uh, China. Now we're seeing it with uh, India, another giant country with 1.4 billion people. Uh, you know, these are uh, uh, when you have rapid uh, economic growth in uh, countries like uh, China and India, you start to add tens of millions of people per year into uh, the uh, middle class. So I think globalization has been a reason why the middle class growth has accelerated so much recently. Uh, after all, by uh, my calculations, it probably took something like 150 years for the first billion people to uh, join the middle class. Uh, today, we're probably seeing a billion people joining the middle class every seven or eight years. So you can imagine that the speed has really uh, accelerated enormously. And would that be in danger? Will that be in danger as there's a retrenchment of globalization and, and trade? There's no evidence as yet that globalization is actually retrenching. It may not be expanding as rapidly as it uh, did before. Uh, but you still have uh, very high levels of uh, of uh, uh, of trade in uh, uh, all countries, and uh, so you still uh, see countries. Uh, I mentioned uh, India, which is now the uh, most rapidly expanding large economy in the uh, world, uh, and it's doing so, uh, you know, very much thanks to uh, globalization and its ability to uh, export. In the case of India. Uh, mostly uh, mostly uh, services, including IT services to the uh, rest of the world. But of course, it is the digital economy, uh, which today is the, uh, uh, the real driver of economic growth everywhere. And that's what India is specializing in. And in the rest of the world, talk about the role that the digital economy, that big tech is playing in helping this, this continual movement towards the middle class. I think it's uh, huge because uh, ultimately it uh, connects people to markets uh, and it's uh, markets and harnessing the power of markets that's really driving economic growth. So one of the big problems that the middle class has always uh, faced is how do they get credit? Uh, many middle class entrepreneurs start small companies but to grow, those small companies need credit. The, in the old days, you had to go to a bank, you had to sell them on your idea, uh, you probably had to uh, demonstrate that you were uh, putting uh, your own money at uh, risk. Uh, it was really quite uh, difficult to uh, get credit and uh, quite time consuming and quite expensive. Today in the digital economy, with uh, so-called fintech uh, platforms, uh, credit is extended to uh, small and medium enterprises in a very different way. Uh, they look at your history of uh, paying bills. Uh, they look at your uh, uh, whether people are buying your products or uh, not. 
and you basically get trade credit or uh, working capital, and that allows you to uh, expand much more rapidly. And that's something we're seeing uh, over and over again in all countries which have really uh, started to uh, develop digital platforms for uh, payments. Talk about sustainability of all of this development, particularly as it relates to environmental issues, the threat of climate change, and the concern among those that have already been successful that if the rest of the world follows the same pattern, that it proves potentially dangerous to the planet. That is, of course, one of the big existential uh, questions is whether the planet can actually uh, sustain uh, a middle-class lifestyle for so many people. I mean, uh, you mentioned that uh, you know, we could get to uh, 5 billion people in the middle class by uh, 2030 or so. Uh, that's, a, uh, that's a big number. And certainly if we continue to structure our economies in the way they're currently structured, uh, we would uh, breach many planetary uh, boundaries. But the good news, I think, is that there is a tremendous amount of innovation right now. And a lot of that innovation is uh, starting to uh, uh, demonstrate that we can have the same living standards, but with far lower uh, uh, stresses uh, on the planet and on uh, natural resources. Uh, and those innovations of course, they stretch. They start with uh, clean energy and the uh, reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, but it also goes into new materials and new technologies. And there are examples in my book about uh, how now one can uh, uh, have leather and clothing, uh, you know, made from uh, essentially from uh, from mushrooms. Uh, you don't have to have uh, uh, you know leather from uh, animals, which is a uh, really very uh, polluting uh, uh, industry by the time you uh, uh, use all the chemicals to uh, cure the leather and diet and uh, things like that. Much easier uh, to do it with uh, some of these other uh, fabrics. Talk a little bit about what we've seen, particularly in terms of those nations that have led the way in moving large portions of their population out of poverty and into the middle class. And the degree to which it potentially creates rising demand, and that those demands carry with it a whole different set of problems. So one of the big drivers of the uh, uh, of the middle class has been uh, urbanization. Uh, so countries which have uh, developed uh, uh, large middle classes are also countries which uh, bring people together in uh, cities. Uh, and today, when you look at uh, some of the uh, largest uh, cities of the world, you know, we're used to thinking about uh, New York, London, Tokyo, uh, maybe uh, Paris. Uh, but now, if you were to name the uh, top 20 uh, cities by population in the uh, world, you'd have a number of Chinese uh, cities that uh, many people may not even have heard of. Uh, you'll have a number of uh, Indian uh, cities. You even have some cities in uh, Africa that are expanding uh, really rapidly. How those cities are built is extremely uh, important for the kind of lifestyle that the middle class can enjoy, uh, the kinds of transport that is uh, available to uh, people, the nature of green spaces in those uh, cities. Uh, cities uh, provide the foundation for the kind of uh, 
uh, of, of uh, environmental uh, footprint that the middle class will have. And that's uh, why now there's so much talk of so-called smart cities. The second big driver, I would say, is education and human capital. So just think about America, the, uh, uh, the most um, reliable ticket to the middle class has long been college education. And along with a uh, college education, uh, you get a uh, uh, you get a good job, uh, but it also changes your views of the world uh, and the values that you uh, have. Uh, and one reason why I'm quite optimistic about the uh, world is that I see the uh, uh, new generation that's uh, uh, coming up as being much more concerned about sustainability because they really understand that to be able to preserve their lifestyle they have to build sustainability into their own uh, lives as well. Is that becoming a universal understanding? I think it is. It uh, varies from uh, place to place. It's perhaps most advanced right now in uh, Europe, uh, but you see it also in uh, Asia, uh, certainly in countries like uh, Japan, a little bit less so in the uh, middle classes in uh, what we call developing countries and the countries like China and India. Uh, but I think that as the uh, middle class uh, starts to uh, uh, solidify and uh, gain confidence, uh, th there will be uh, similar moves towards uh, sustainability there as well. In many ways, it's also an early warning system in that, as you talk about, technology is going to play a huge role, technology and innovation, in, in these countries moving towards sustainability, in terms of the middle class moving towards sustainability. But along with all of that innovation comes a lot of disruption. Jobs will change, the nature of work will change, and in many cases we're going to see that happen, it seems, in these developing countries before we're even going to see it in the West. I think that's right. Uh, the um, although the uh, ability of uh, technology to uh, diffuse uh, very rapidly in uh, developing countries is uh, uh, much slower than uh, in the West. So I think the technologies and many of the innovations uh, start in the West. Uh, and let me say these are innovations both in technology as is uh, uh, commonly uh, thought of, you know, producing a new product uh, in uh, some way, but also innovations in business practices. Uh, and that's an area where I think you're going to see uh, much more innovation in uh, developing uh, economies, uh, because many of them are used to resources being scarce. Uh, and so there's a whole branch of so-called uh, frugal innovation uh, that's starting to emerge, and you see companies taking advantage of that in developing countries. One of the things we haven't talked about, whether it's in a democratic system or a, a more autocratic system, is the role that governance is going to play in how successful or unsuccessful this movement towards the middle class is. Talk about it from a governance point of view and the role of governance in this process. So I think the middle class needs avenues to uh, be able to express its demands and wants to uh, whoever is in uh, power. Uh, in democratic societies, it does that through, uh, uh, through the ballot box. Uh, and uh, what it tries to do is to shape economic policy 
to be able to uh, provide more effectively uh, some things that it needs. That's why in so many uh, Western uh, countries, uh, you have governments providing uh, education because education is something that is so much more efficiently provided uh, as a uh, collective than each individual trying to, for example, hire a tutor to uh, you know, teach their families. That's a very expensive uh, 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 proposition and probably uh, one that would lead to a very unequal uh, society. So simple things, education, health, justice, uh, these are all things that the uh, middle class uh, uh, pushes for as they try to ensure that the society that evolves is a meritocratic, rules-based society. Uh, that ultimately is what the middle class is uh, after. In less democratic systems, they need to find other ways of expressing those uh, demands. Sometimes they do it through, um, uh, through associations, uh, so you might have environmental associations, you might have trade unions, um, but there has to be uh, some way that the middle class finds to, uh, uh, to say, this is what we really want. I think very interestingly, we're now seeing changes in what the middle class uh, says it uh, wants. And uh, one of the things I talk about in the uh, book is that um, the middle class has become concerned about overwork and mental health issues. And we see an explosion of mental health problems in the United States, but also elsewhere, where the middle class is simply saying, the whole idea of being in the middle class is to start to enjoy the good life. And if you're working flat out, uh, you know, longer and longer uh, hours, you're just too stressed and tired uh, to uh, uh, really enjoy yourself and do the things that uh, matter uh, to you. Uh, so there's a real movement now to uh, reduce the uh, uh, reduce the work week, to pay more attention to uh, uh, to uh, mental health issues, and you have some advanced economies. Uh, I think uh, New Zealand is uh, perhaps uh, the first advanced economy where mental health is actually became a major priority in their uh, uh, national government budgets. So that's just an example of how the middle class is uh, always uh, thinking about and pushing governments to try to introduce policies to address their priority concerns. And how they feel about that is, it seems, is a function of where in the developmental cycle these countries are. That a country like New Zealand, that that has had a, a thriving middle class for so long, can afford that luxury almost, as opposed to what we see in India, for example, where there are so many that are dedicated to working so hard, so much, to be able to succeed and, and have a place in that middle class. That's absolutely right. But countries can get trapped into uh, customs. Uh, and so, you know, you still have in, uh, let's say, places like Japan, which has also had a middle class for a very long time, uh, people continuing to, corporations continuing to uh, uh, ask their uh, employees to put in uh, very long hours. Uh, and that's creating real problems. Uh, so, 
there is a part which is a uh, natural evolution of uh, uh, wants and desires, uh, but there's also a part which uh, every so often uh, needs to be uh, uh, needs to be uh, nudged uh, more aggressively uh, because otherwise inertia just kicks in. Coming back to to the, where we started and talking about measuring, how important is the role of data? for people like you, for economists, et cetera, to, to continue to monitor this as a way to understand how it's evolving? I think that uh, data is so important because it gives us a uh, sense of uh, uh, speed, a sense of direction, and a sense of the magnitude of the uh, trend. Uh, and um, that's important because it, uh, it suggests and indicates that uh, you know, in some areas, we cannot go on as we uh, currently are. Uh, and uh, so of the uh, uh, several threats to the middle class that I outline, uh, one is greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and one should be quite clear that many of the greenhouse gas emissions are there precisely because companies are trying to satisfy the demands of the middle class for cheap goods, cheap goods, cheap houses, and cheap mobility. The middle class likes to travel. Well, you know, airlines tend to be extremely uh, uh, greenhouse gas uh, uh, intensive. Uh, so something will need to uh, change. Pollution. We throw away so much stuff. And for a while, when landfills in the US filled up, it was reasonably straightforward. We exported our uh, trash to uh, developing countries. Now developing countries have their own middle class and uh, have to deal with their own trash. There's nowhere to send it. So we have to deal with those kinds of things. And then the last big threat, of course, is uh, AI and uh, what AI is going to uh, do to our uh, jobs. Uh, so there are these... Um, uh, these are uh, uh, big trends that you can only get a sense of if you have a uh, an understanding of the uh, data and the dimensions and speed with which the trends will evolve. Homi Karas, his book is The Rise of the Global Middle Class, How the Search for the Good Life Can Change the World. I thank you so very much for spending time with us today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Jeff. Thank you.